Well, good evening, and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on the Blog Talk Radio Network, and uh, also uh, Spotify, and and also uh, Anchor FM, and all the other platforms we use. There's many of them here at Sunshine USA. We're all about getting out the gospel, and not only getting out the gospel, but also uh, teaching the Word of God. That's what we're all about. And uh, it's been that way ever since 2012 when this ministry was started. And it's still that way today. Amen. (laughs) Well, it's great to have you tuned in. And uh, many of you know that on the last broadcast, we uh, got started with the brand new uh, book of study here at uh, at uh, Sunshine USA. It was called the book of Colossians. In fact, we went through the first chapter in Colossians uh, yesterday. And I feel like we learned a lot. And one of the interesting things we pointed out yesterday is the fact the church at Colossae was not a church that Paul himself started. But nonetheless, he had a love for the people there. He cared about the people there. And the gentleman that started the church, this person was a person that Paul addressed as a brother in Christ, a fellow servant. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 7, he says, You learned it from Epaphras. Now, he is one that Paul describes as our beloved fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And he also is the one that apparently started the church there at Colossae. Now, you know, if this had happened in our day, Paul probably would have said something bad about Colossae. I mean, bad about uh, um, Epaphras. Because he considered Epaphras to be a competitor. He probably would have made some very derogatory remarks. But instead, Paul says he's a brother in Christ. He's a fellow servant, a faithful minister. And that's how we should see everybody who faithfully um, proclaims the Word of God. We should see them as a team member and not a competitor. I remember one time uh, I was working in New Orleans. I was working at a Christian radio station. And we went to a concert, me and a friend of mine, and I ran into the manager of the other Christian station in town and uh, I addressed him as one of my competitors in a friendly sort of way, but I like what he said. He said, no, 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 no. He said, there's no competition between lighthouses. He said, you know what? We're both lighthouses for the Lord and we're reaching people that y'all aren't and y'all are reaching people we aren't. And you know what? He was right on the money. Amen? (laughs) Amen. Now, as we get over 
to Colossians 2, Paul says, absent in body, present in spirit. Now Paul, as you know, he pastored uh, really a lot of churches. Uh, he planted a lot of churches more specifically. Usually he didn't stick around very long as pastor, but he started or planted a lot of churches. And so there was a lot of congregations he loved and kept up with. And the church there at Colossae was one of them, except for the fact that was a church that Paul himself did not start. But yet he had a great abiding love for the people there nonetheless. Now, Paul starts off this chapter by saying, For I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and those at Laodicea. And for all those who have not met me face to face, that they might be encouraged in heart, knit together in love, and filled with the full riches and of complete understanding, so that they might know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will deceive you by smooth-talking rhetoric. Now here Paul is referring to false prophets, false teachers. They were a problem in his day, and I guarantee you folks, they are a problem in our day. Now I love Christian radio, I love Christian television, but I also see some problems that it has caused. Through Christian radio and Christian television, we have been introduced as churches to all kinds of teachings on all kinds of subjects, some of which is scriptural, some of it far from scriptural. And so it has created, in effect, a problem. A problem. People are being bombarded with false teaching. And this was a concern that Paul had in his day as well. Because he knew there were false teachers out there who had smooth rhetoric. They were entertaining. They were very articulate. They looked astute and professional. And Paul frankly saw them as a potential threat to the church and he wanted them to be on the lookout for these guys he says for although I am absent from you in body I am present with you in spirit and I delight to see your orderly condition and firm faith in Christ in other words yes there are false teachers out there but he says I'm happy to report that you guys are not falling for them amen now, one of the best ways to protect yourself from false prophecy and false teaching is to get into the Word of God every single day. And I tell you folks, I have all kinds of ways of studying God. I listen to Bible teachers on radio and television. I read the Bible itself. I read commentaries. I read uh, uh, biblical studies material. 
and I just eat it all up. That is part of the way that I stay strong spiritually. Now, of course, even then, I'll be the first to tell you I'm not perfect. And one of the reasons I'm not perfect is because I still have a sin nature. You see, when I got saved, back in November 1969, I got saved. But guess what? My sin nature remained intact. And so I still have to do battle with my sin nature, I, I guarantee you. Paul says, therefore, just as you have received Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. And once again, the way you do that is to stay in the word. And, and bearing in mind, Paul very properly here puts the focus on Christ. He says, don't walk in me. He says, I want you to continue to walk in him. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, see, Paul's the one that taught him, so he knows they were taught well. And he knows the man that started that congregation, and he knows that that guy taught them well as well. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Boy, I tell you, the, the philosophers, they were quite busy in those days, and they sure are today as well. A lot of deception going on, which are based on human tradition and the spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. You see, Paul knew what it was for people to be caught up in the web or the net set out by Christ. Now, he wasn't talking about the Internet. He didn't know anything about the Internet. He just knew the devil was a clever devil. And that's how the devil always caught his prey. He always had kind of like the spider's web laid out, ready to trap the people. He says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And you have been made complete in Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Notice what he says here. You have been made complete in Christ. Now, you know, a lot of times we like to say, well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, that's true. We are that. We are a sinner saved by grace. And I, I know a lot of times, you know, I see a drunk going down the road, and I say, well, you know, except it be for the grace of God, that can be me. Because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But in reality, in actuality, we are not just, we are not merely a sinner saved by grace. We have been made complete 
in Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. In him you were also circumcised, putting off your sinful nature with the circumcision performed by Christ. Now here, of course, he's not talking about the circumcision done by man. He says, uh, in him you were also circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature with the circumcision performed by Christ and not by human hands and having been buried with him in baptism, you were raised up with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. In other words, he's talking here about a spiritual circumcision, not a literal or physical circumcision. Now bearing in mind, he's talking to the Colossians. The Colossians, by and large, are Gentiles, not Jews. And so there was no reason of any kind for them to be circumcised. But nonetheless, they had gone through a spiritual circumcision. And Paul goes on to say, And having been buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through the, your faith in the power of God who raised you from the dead. When you were dead in your trespasses and in the circumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our trespasses, having canceled the debt ascribed to us in the degrees that stood against us. He took it, nailing it to the cross. Now I want you to think about something. I want you to think how thrilling it is to know that your sin debt has been marked, paid in full. I remember one time I was very sick. I needed to go in the hospital. I had no money. I had no insurance. And so the hospital said, well, you can apply for something called a sponsorship. And they said, basically what this means is the hospital will forgive your past debt and they will allow you to receive whatever treatment you need for the next 12 months and it won't cost you anything. Boy, you talk about making a Southern Baptist Christian want to shout. I wanted to shout because what they told me meant that a few thousand dollars worth of debt had already been wiped out. And whatever debt I rang up in the next year, it was going to be knocked out as well. Boy, that was exciting to me. Now, when you and I look back over our lives, say, look at all the things you've done, well, just in the past year. Maybe you could think of a lot of sinful stuff you've done. And then you think about the fact, well, as a Christian, I have the comfort of knowing that Christ has forgiven me. He has granted me a complete, full forgiveness, a complete, full pardon for my sin. And that's why we as Christians can be so very excited over what God has done for us Amen. 
and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. Therefore, let no one judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a feast or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the body that cast it all together belongs to Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, don't let anybody judge you by what you eat or drink. You know, one of the big things back in Paul's day was the issue of eating meat that had been offered idols. Now, Paul had made it perfectly clear time and time again he saw nothing wrong with this. He said, you know, this is a practice that I don't see anything wrong with. Nothing. Not a not a thing wrong with it. But he also said, you know what? If it will cause my brother to stumble, I won't do it. Do I have the freedom to do it? Yes. But I won't do it if it's going to cause my brother to stumble. He said, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and worship and the worship of angels disqualify you with speculation about what he has seen. People will find all kinds of reasons to judge you harshly. And if you're trying to do anything for God, they will do their best to disqualify you. I like a, a bumper sticker I saw one time on a car. It said something like this, God does not call the qualified, but rather he qualifies those who he has called. Amen. Paul says, such a person is puffed up without basis by his unspiritual mind. He has lost connection to the head from whom the whole body, supported and knit together by its joints and ligaments, grow, grows as God caused it to grow. Now, you know, I think about some of these joints and ligaments nowadays as a senior citizen. And I think to myself, ouch, these things hurt. <laughs> Amen. Paul goes on to say, if you have died with Christ to the spiritual forces of the world, why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its regulations? Now, one of the things we have to keep reminding ourselves of over and over again is the fact that you and I are not to be living in the world, living by the world's standards. The Bible says, as Christians, we march to a different drumbeat. We march to a different drummer. We do things differently than the world does. You know, I could just see it now. You know, a lot of people out in the world, they look at us trying to do everything they're doing, and they say to themselves, if you're no different than I am, then why do you want me to become like you? Because you already are like me. 
Amen. Paul says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These will all perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Some restrictions indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-prescribed worship, their false humility and harsh treatment of the body. But they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And one of the things that Paul is pointing out here, he says, you know, you take a look at what some of these false teachers are saying, some of it halfway makes sense, you know. It seems logical. But when you put it under a microscope, you realize, hey, this is not so logical after all. Now we come to Colossians chapter 3. where Paul will talk on the subject of putting on the new self. He says, Therefore, since you have been raised with Christ, strive for the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, the components of your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. In other words, Paul is saying here that sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry. We're to stay away from all this. You might have done this in the past before you became a believer, but now that you're a believer, now that you're a born-again Christian, Paul says we're to put away the old ways. When you lived among them, you also used to walk in these ways. But now you must put aside all such things as these. Put aside anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. He said, you got to get rid of all this. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. If any of this describes your life, you've got some cleaning up to do. Now, we don't clean up in order to be saved, but if we are saved, then we want our lives to be cleaned up. We want our lives to be straightened out. Amen? Amen.
He says, do not lie one to another since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek nor Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian Scythian slave or free but Christ is all and in all. He goes on to say, therefore, in verse 12, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear one another and forgive any complaint that you may have against someone else. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, if you have trouble forgiving someone else, just take note of the fact that Christ forgave you with the blood that he shed on Calvary's cross. And we need to practice virtues like kindness and humility, gentleness, patience, I tell you that word patience, you look at that and you say, boy, I have to do battle with patience every day. I asked one man one time, I said, do you have any patience? He said, no, but then again, I'm not a doctor. When he gave me that answer, I knew he had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> you see, you and I have to have patience in the Lord. Um, during the past two or three weeks, I've had to exercise a lot of patience. I know that in the week or two ahead, a lot of changes are coming to my life. It's a scary thought at times, but yet the Word of God tells me that I have to be patient. I have to learn to wait on Him. And then he says, and over all these virtues put on love, which is the bond of perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. For this you were called as members of one body and be thankful. One thing I can say, Paul put a great deal of emphasis on unity in the church. He wanted to see unity in the church more than anything else. Now, I don't think Paul meant here that there should be unity at all costs. He's not asking anybody to compromise on major fundamental doctrines. But where possible, we should strive for unity in the church and to work with oneness, gentleness, peace and love, perfect unity. 
Paul goes on to say, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now, by the way, who says church music has to be limited to the church? You know what one of the books is in my library? It's a hymn book. Bought it at a yard sale. Where did they get it? I don't know. But I got it now. And I just love reading that hymn book. And sometimes I'll be sitting in my easy chair and I'll be looking through that hymn book and I'll see those hymns. And a lot of these are hymns that I remember singing as a child. And I always love singing those hymns. And where I can hear these hymns, <laughs> I still love to hear them. I still love to sing them. Amen. Paul goes on to say, And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. You know, a lot of times we say, well, the things at the church, that's spiritual, so I do it to the Lord. But I don't really think God cares about my secular job. Maybe I'm flipping burgers at McDonald's hamburgers. Does God care about that? You bet he does. And the Bible says you need to flip every burger as though you were flipping it for Jesus. Amen. I don't think Jesus would mind eating a Big Mac today if he were here with us. Amen. Of course, now some people say, Warren, that's where you just quit preaching and gone to meddling. Amen. Next, Paul goes on to address the subject of Christian households. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And I believe that still applies today. I think wives who love the Lord need to submit to their husbands. And by the way, that's not conditional on whether or not you agree with your husband. It's not even conditional on whether or not your husband is a Christian. The Bible says, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. The Bible makes it very clear, in my opinion, that the husband is the head of the household. Now, that doesn't mean the wife and the husband can't discuss different things, different issues, but at the end of the day, if there's still a difference of opinion, the man's opinion prevails. Because the Bible clearly teaches he is the head of the household. And the wife is to submit herself to her husband. Now, of course, he's not just talking the wives are. He's also talking to husbands. 
I know what some of the men are saying now. They're saying, now I know he's going to meddle. says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In other words, one way I've put it sometimes is like this. Yes, as men, the Bible says we are the head of the household. That does not necessarily mean, though, that we need to be a harsh dictator. But rather, it means that you and I are to uh, very carefully and prayerfully teach the Word of God. Amen. And live for the Lord and provide our households with Christian leadership. Then in verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Now, one thing I've shared many times is the fact that back in biblical days, back in biblical times, children that disobeyed their parents were subject to the death penalty. Now, that sounds harsh in our day. We hear something like that and we say, what? Well, that's what the Bible says. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this is pleasing to the Lord. Now, by the way, your obligation to obey your parents does not end when you turn 18 years old or 21 years old. After I finished college and seminary, I went back to my hometown and I lived for a while with my parents. And my parents didn't mind, but they made it very clear. They said, Warren, as long as you put your feet under our table, no matter how old you are, you will live under our rules. And I had no problem with that. Then the Bible goes on to say in verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke your children so that they will become discouraged. In other words, we have some cases where children actually become afraid of their father. And so when I come along as a preacher and I talk about the Heavenly Father, some people get scared because they don't really have a good image of their own dad because they have spent many years afraid of their own dad. So Paul says here, Fathers, do not provoke your children so that they will become discouraged. There are some children that get discouraged because they think no matter what they do, their dad will never be pleased. Then Paul talks about serving with honor. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. Now, here we could very easily say, employees, obey your earthly employers in everything, not only to please them while they are watching, but, in, but with sincerity of heart and fear of the Lord. I mean, bearing in mind, you have to realize as a Christian, 
that your employer is the person that God is using to take care of your needs. Have you ever thought of it that way? And when you think of it that way, you should be very grateful for the fact that your employer has hired you and you should have a great desire to do a good job for them whether they are watching or not. Paul goes on to say, whatever you do, work at it with your whole being. For the Lord and not for men. Because you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now that's an interesting way to look at your job. You should see your job as a place where you are serving God. For one thing, like I say, this is the place that God is using to provide you with the income that you need to support yourself and your family. Also, you have to realize that this is where you have an opportunity to lead your fellow workers to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't mean necessarily try to teach in the Bible when you're supposed to be working, but you can certainly be a good Christian influence on them. Amen? Amen. I tell you, one time I worked in a big grocery store chain. I think we had, in this big store, it's really one of these big box grocery stores. Like I say, about two or three hundred employees. And I'm not trying to brag, but I, I did, I think, a pretty decent job living for the Lord. when I was working at that particular job. And you know what? When people had prayer requests, when people had needs, when some of my fellow employees had things going on in their life, you know who they came to? They came to me and they said, Warren, I need you to pray about this. Warren, I need you to pray about that. And of course, I was only too happy to do it. So in a real sense, even though I was working in a grocery store, it was quite literally a ministry for me. Then Paul goes on to say in verse 25, whoever does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favoritism. In other words, no matter who you are, no matter what you are. When you sin, God's going to punish you. Look at it this way. If God saw fit to punish his own children, Israel, you could be rest assured he would have no problem punishing you. Amen? Amen. Now that brings us, of course, officially to the end of Colossians chapter number 3. And on that note, we will call it a night as far as our Bible study for this evening is concerned. And then we'll go on to the next chapter tomorrow night. Amen. I don't want to cover so much material that we can't remember everything we've studied. 
But I want to make sure that we spend enough time in the Word of God so that we are able to come away with the message that the Lord wants us to have. Amen? Now, I want you to know that if you have any prayer requests or Bible study questions, you can email me. I've got two email addresses. The first one is titled uh, warrenlandis at yahoo.com. The other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. Both of them lowercase. And if you give me permission, I will be more than happy to share these Bible study questions and these prayer requests with my unseen, unnumbered radio audience. And I don't know about you, but I find it very comforting to know that there are Christians all over the world and all over America praying for me when I have a problem. And I'm sure that you will find it to be the same way. Because, you know, we serve a great God. Amen. We serve a great God. He loves us very much and he has this great desire to meet and take care of all of our needs. Amen. Well, that brings us to the end of this particular podcast. This is Warren Landis saying, I love you and I care about you. I'll pray for you tonight. And you do the same for me. And I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.